0: You know, something I've realized about our worship teams, uh, certainly this morning, and every team, I want to say this, every Sunday, every person in the team, um, and you guys, feel free to file out over there, but you can listen to me because I'm, I'm talking about you right now. How grateful we all are for you. Um, they don't just lead us with excellence, uh, and they don't just lead us with, you know, passion or something, you know. They lead from the heart, and when they lead us, they're obviously very good at what they do, Um, but but it is with a heart that doesn't love worship um, more than it loves God. You see see the difference. Um, it, It is possible to worship worship but what we're called to is to worship God, and the people who are leading us are worshiping God when they do so. I'm just so thankful for that. Anyway, I, I hope they heard that, but, um, but, 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 but the important thing is, is that God sees their hearts as they lead, and he sees our hearts as, as we turn to him in worship. So, where's my heart at before the Lord? Um, so, We're in a series right now, quick series, on the I am statements in the book of John. And Trent had started out with, um, I am the bread of life. And then I think last week was, I am the light of the world. And now today, we're actually got two today that we're going to be looking at because they're both in the same text. And that is John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading uh, in just a moment verses 1 to 16. And so John chapter 10, wherein he says two things as far as I am statements, the first being, I am the door, and the second being, I am the good shepherd. And it's interesting how he does it because he kind of jumps back and forth just a little bit uh, as he's talking about uh, himself as door. He talks about how the sheep will go in and out through the door, And he says that before he gets to calling himself the good shepherd. So it's kind of interesting. Um, He goes back and forth. And it's also interesting that as he starts in, and I wanna say it's through maybe verse four or so, um, he he gets to where he realizes he's probably lost some of the folks who are listening. And so he almost says, let me put this a different way. And he goes back and he says some more things in this text. So he kind of jumps back and forth, but he's talking about himself as door, He's also talking about himself as good shepherd. So, two things about Jesus, but only one thing about us. The one thing about us in the text is we are sheep. He's door, he's also good shepherd. We are always sheep. We're sheep. And the thing about sheep is that sometimes, um, you know, I, I, have you ever wondered what Jesus is thinking? when you realize that he just saw you, um, whether it was you know just in your mind something that you thought, uh, something that you did or said, and maybe you're alone. A lot of times I'm alone when this happens, and I just kind of laugh at myself, thinking to myself, that was ridiculous, but, and no one else saw that, but Jesus saw that. And it just occurs to me that I am... They're they're tied. I laugh at myself. I'm such a sheep. (laughs) Just such a sheep. And that sometimes sheep, um, we we mean well, and we still muff it. And he sees that, even if others don't. Um, Sometimes we think we've got it pretty much handled. We think that we know better. Hopefully, it's not so bad that we think that we know better than him. But sometimes we think we know better than others, and sometimes we do think that we know better than him. But he sees that too. I wanted to show you just real quick here, um, you know, give you a little bit of an example here. Why don't we put that first? Do you see that? Can you read that? I mean, it's, it, it's kind of baby blue chalk on a sidewalk and Kim was out running and she saw this. she took a picture of it. Um, I mean, do you catch the irony there? <laughs> now, when Kim took the picture, She was using it as an illustration with friends that said, hey, even when you muff it, you can still be an encouragement to others. Isn't that a great thing to pass on in this world? Okay, that's how my wife did. Um, But my daughter, when my daughter saw that, she took it as, oh my word, did you catch the irony? (laughs) That sometimes as sheep, little ones, (laughs) we can muff it. It ought to read, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. You are smart, okay? It pop up the next one. Sometimes we think that we know better. Check that out. I would have shown this on Mother's Day, but I wasn't preaching on Mother's Day. Can you believe the audacity? I had a good friend send this to me. Uh, he said, this is when I knew that my daughter was going places. Dear Mom, I can write better cursive than you. P.S., this is not my best cursive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And my daughter saw that, and my daughter, you know, a little bit full of herself, which my daughter can be sometimes, and I love her, but it's true, says to me, you know, if she was bringing her A game, what she would have written was, I can write better in cursive than you. Always the one who is pinpoint on her grammar, my daughter. Anyway, sometimes we think we know better. So I wanted to slip that in there. I just, I had those pictures. I thought, I'm gonna bring those tomorrow. All right, open up to John chapter 10. We're always sheep. John chapter 10. And we're gonna read through the text pretty quick, make some comments along the way, then jump back and spend... Our time in one verse for Jesus as door, one verse for Jesus as good shepherd, and then we're going to have communion today too. So it's good. It's a good day. John chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who enters by the door the proper way, the legal way, the right way. He's given access that way. And the thief, the robber, everyone else hops the fence. Um, have you ever hopped the fence? You know what it feels like to hop a fence? Um, I, you know, I did this first hour, I was, I was shocked, I was shocked at us, at how many people have af- actually participated in this activity before, but have you ever been, raise your hand, all right, show of hands and be brave, have you ever been pool hopping before? Who's been pool hopping? Yeah, it's, it's, okay, some, not as many as first service, you, you're so much more obedient, second service. Um, so pool hopping. So I'm in high school and there's like five or six of us and it's a summer night, it's after dark and the idea is that you wanna hop the fence of you know, whatever person has got the built-in pool in the neighborhood, you hop the fence, uh, you jump off and you gotta do this in line, you can't all do it at the same time. There's a line at the diving board, you're into the pool, you swim to the far side, hop the far side and the last guy's gotta get out before the whole group gets caught. That's the game. And I can remember that uh, we got to where we were so into it. Yeah, keep in mind, this is high school. We were so into it that we would go down and we would hop the public school fence or uh, pool fence, okay? And I can remember there that there was a little depression uh, in the lawn because when we would get called, you know, a neighbor, someone would call on us, there's kids in the pool again, you know. And so what we would do is we would lay down in the little depression. It was just like that movie, The Great Escape. You've seen that movie, right? With the, with the spotlights going over, the police cars would pull up and they'd show their lights, you know, that's on the side there, over the top. We'd just be laying there watching the lights go over the top of us. Never got caught. What? Was I a thief? I mean, technically, um, you know, I'm I'm stealing time in the pool that I didn't pay for. But man, it was fun. (laughs) It was high school. Okay, and there could have been a lot worse ways to get in trouble. (sighs) I'm just just having a good time up here preaching. (laughs) Have you ever hopped a fence? Jesus doesn't hop fences. Jesus is allowed to go where he wants to go. He enters the right way, and he is Lord of whatever's on the inside or the outside of the fence. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love that it says he calls his own sheep by name. Um, My favorite book of the Bible, chapter of the Bible, and verse of the Bible, Psalm 23, 1, which does not say the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. It does not say that. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Individual, sheep by name. He cares about you in the singular. And when we all show up one day on the, on the last great day of judgment, we won't show up as a church where God will kind of check a box and say, okay, everyone at West Shore Free Church, come on in. That is not going to happen. That is not our future reality. The future reality is that he will separate the sheep from the goats, one from another. We either are his sheep individually, or we are a goat individually. What have we done with the man Jesus Christ? Not even West Shore Free Church. Not even any number of very good positive things. But at the end of the day, what have you done with the man, Jesus Christ himself? He wants you to be one of, one of his sheep. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. We're gonna come back to verse four in a little bit. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And something interesting, I th- you know, something convicting I find there in verse 5 is that if I am at a point in my life where I'm kind of into strangers, I'm into other voices. You know, I sure, the Bible, but there are other philosophies and other truths out there. Blah, blah, blah. And so I want to kind of investigate and that kind of thing. I'm way out of line. I'm lost. There's one shepherd. There's one good shepherd. And we don't want to get bogged down listening to other voices. And if I do find myself listening to other voices, I may not be a sheep of this shepherd. And it's kind of a scary thought, but here at this church, we want to bring the truth of the Bible, right? not just some of the truth. We're very much committed at this church to bringing the truth, the whole truth, the whole truth. I'm holding up the Bible here for those who are maybe online and can't see. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. We wanna use the Bible to interpret the Bible for us. Verse six, this is what I was talking about a moment ago, Jesus this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I would, if I had been there, I'd have raised my head. Yeah, I'd, what are you saying again? Could you repeat that. Verse seven, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, the true sheep, Those who are in me, those whom I've chosen, did not listen to them. And then verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. We'll get back to that verse in a moment also. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's talking about Satan. Satan. It's his agenda. What he can't steal, he'll kill. What he can't kill, he'll destroy somehow. But ruin, whatever form it takes, Satan. And then Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A life that starts now. It doesn't wait till heaven. It starts today. But it's also a life that is on my terms not necessarily yours. If it turns out to be on your terms, it's only because you're in agreement with me, but we're doing things my way now, not yours. And so you experience what there is, uh, what, what we might call a kind of a joyful surrender, just a joy, a happiness drenched surrender and submission to the will of Jesus Christ to rule your life, to live for him, to see what he has for you day by day. It's hard sometimes, but it's so good. It's so safe, secure. It's secure in him. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yes, it's good to remember when Jesus says, I lay my life down for the sheep. How did he do that? Well, he went to the cross. We sing about it every Sunday. Yes, and that's true. In this text it means even more than that. It means that um, I, I, have, I will and I have laid down my life ultimately as a one once um, in, in, in the universe and over the course of eternity um, to future, uh, eternity past to, to, to future. Um, I, I, I have done the one thing uh, to redeem at the cross and now nothing more needs to be done. It's one shot deal. Nothing more needs to be added to the, to the work of Christ, to the atonement. However, I continue to be on hand as a good shepherd like any good shepherd to protect my sheep, to defend them. I am in a... Um, what would have been a daily routine that a shepherd would have had to have um, just forever been present and present to protect. Um, Would have been much like David, if you go back and you read about uh, King David and he's interacting with King Saul. there in the valley of of Elah and he's ready to go up against Goliath and his reasoning, he steps before Saul and says, Hey, let me fight this guy um, because I have um, as a shepherd taken on um, multiple lions and multiple bears. It doesn't say the lion and the bear. It says lions and bears, and I have killed them. I've slain them. And this, uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like one of them. David was that kind of shepherd that he's willing to take on whatever needs to be taken on to make sure that the sheep are safe. And that's what Jesus is communicating about himself right here. He's that kind of good shepherd. He's willing to lay down his life continually. You know, if that's what it happens to take. So, The good shepherd lays down his life or is ready to lay down his life in the moment to protect. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So, yeah, you've paid me, but you haven't paid me enough To have to account for that, I'm out of here. That's the hired hand. Jesus is not the hired hand. So Jesus isn't the thief or the robber, but neither is he the hired hand. Jesus says in verse 14 again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Love that, one flock, one. He's talking about the Gentiles there. The Gentiles are gonna be roped in. That's most of us in this room. I'm thankful for that. One flock, one shepherd. So Jesus says two I am statements in this text. We're gonna go back to one verse for each of the statements. We're going to go back to verse 9 right now. I am the door. And what does he mean by that? How, how is Jesus the door? Four ways, number one. I think you have it in your outline. Four ways, number one. He says, if anyone enters by me. So he's the door because he's the one through whom you enter through whom I enter, and he is in that sense the only door. Let's rejoice in that. Let's let's be a little bit bold, especially in today's day and age, in this current culture, North America. Let's be bold about that. Jesus Christ is the only way. Let that set there for a second. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus said, and I think we might end up looking at this one next week. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to get to God is through me. I am the only door. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are. It doesn't matter how full of love you feel your heart to be. The only way for a lost person to be saved is to enter through Jesus Christ. Peter was bold about that in Acts chapter 4. I think it was Peter. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when it says, there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Don't you love that? That that, that he comes back, Peter comes back with this attitude of... um, You know, I love you, but I'm not going to couch it for you. You have got to get yourself saved. And there's no other way except for Jesus. And it's only because I love you as much as I do that I tell you that. But I'm not going to couch it according to what I perceive to be your sensibilities. And I'm going to hem and haw. And maybe we'll get around to it later. And I'm going to... Just pray for now. You keep praying for sure. But Peter's attitude, there is no other name by which you must be saved. You have got to get yourself saved. You have got to respond to the grace of Christ that is pricking your heart right now. And you talk about black and white, crystal clear. Here's my, lately, my favorite text when it comes to this idea of Jesus being the only way. In 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, it says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Can it it be any more clear than that? I don't think so. We enter by Jesus and only Jesus. That's the first phrase. There in verse 9. Second phrase, it says, He will be saved. I'm just going to flip over. You can join me if you can get there fast enough. I've got it marked. Um, It's in Hebrews 10, 14. And I'm going to read verses, um, actually verses 11 through 14. But I want us to see something about salvation and the salvation that Jesus brings. It's this. um, That yes, when we enter through Jesus as door, we become saved. And so we are saved with a D on the end. In addition to that, we continue to be saved all the way to heaven. We are saved and we are being saved. And this is one of my favorite texts here in Hebrews to bring that idea out. It says this in verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So just super quick uh, to kind of fill in there a little bit. It's talking about Old Testament Levitical code, and there's this uh, priestly system, and the priests are offering sacrifices uh, to keep the people up to where they needed to be for the holiness of God, okay? That's what's happening. And so you have even at once a year, high priest only, into the one room, the very back of the temple, the Holy of Holies, had to go in there with a rope around his ankle because if he did something blasphemous while he was in there, there was no one going in there to get him and they couldn't allow the dead body to remain in there. So they'd have to haul him back out. If he died in there, they'd have to pull him back out. Okay, so care needed to be, t- that's how uh, careful God was calling them to be. So there's a little background on verse 11. That's what's being referred to. And then a huge but (laughs) in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time, past, you know, behind and forward, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins at the cross, at Calvary, the cross. He sat down at the right hand of God because there was no more work to be done by him or anyone else in the universe ever, all time ever. No more work to be done. So he sits down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Uh, Philippians 2 could come to mind, you know, that, um, um, that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall, shall bow, you know, to, to, to the name of Jesus, to the glory of God the Father, Um, that's what Jesus is waiting for there, verse 13. And then verse 14, check this out. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time, that's saved, perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified, still being saved. Same function uh, for, for, for both people. You know, those two functions for the same people, all of us, each of us. We are saved and being saved until we get there, until we get to heaven. All right, back to, uh, back to John 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out, it says. So if we could get Deuteronomy 28 up on, I want to read this and just look at this. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field, blessed Shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be, shall you be. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. You catch that last verse in the language there. In and out in and out, but that's what's going on here in John when he's talking about in verse nine, and we'll go in and out. He, he's talking about life. He's talking about, he's calling for obedience, but he's talking about just the sustenance and the provision that comes our way day by day in the thick of life, the affairs of the day. You're going in and out. You're, you're, you're having to do uh, and, and accomplish, and kind of be present for whomever, but but whatever it is, the situations, um, the opportunities, uh, the trials that get appointed, um, the relationships that you are in, all of life, in and out, and it is a cycle. And what Jesus is saying here as a door is that I am the door through which you're moving, you know, in this cycle. And you're living your life and all the stuff that's coming your way. And I'm just allowing the in and out and the in and out. Keep living your life is the message there in that phrase. And then he ends with the phrase, and find pasture comes to my mind is Psalm 23 again. Uh, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You're going to find rest there. He leads me beside the still waters. That his leadership is something that he can make sure I comprehend well enough to follow. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's what needs to be restored. You know, spiritually speaking, where am I really? I just need God to fix problems in my life. I need the Lord over the course of my life to fix me. Not just things about my life, situations that I get myself into. I need him to fix me. That's what theologians for a long, long time have called sanctification. I need him to fix me. Says that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you understand that when it comes to the safe pasture that Jesus Christ offers, that there is a moral component, you know, that he calls us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit a righteous life. It's not a moral free-for-all. That there's a moral component. And then he says in verse 4, I mean, you could go through the whole psalm, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Because, and then that's at that point, he turns to the Lord. He stops talking about God and starts talking to God. He says, Because you're there. You are with me. You're with me, and you're rod and your staff to comfort me. Jesus said, I am the door. He also said, I am the good shepherd. Jump up to verse 4, and we're just going to take a quick look at four, sta- four phrases there. In verse 4, this is Jesus as good shepherd, how? Number one, he brings out all his own. Elsewhere in Scripture, he's going to say this, I've come to do my Father's will, and this is my Father's will, that I should lose None of all that he has given me. None. None. Not one will be missing. I've had some people say to me, well, okay, it says in the Bible that uh, Jesus has us in his hand, but that I still have the freedom to say to myself that I can jump out of the hand of Jesus and lose my salvation. No, that, that, that's just bad theology. That makes no sense because for you to be able to jump out of the hand of Jesus and to lose your salvation is for Jesus to disobey the will of the Father and to have let you go. Folks, listen, our salvation is not based in our love for God. It is based in his love for us. Yes, we're called to love him. The Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes. But our salvation is rooted in his commitment to us because he knows how fickle we are. When he gets us, if we're truly saved, he keeps us. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. So let's have up, if we could, let's have Micah chapter 2. I love this. I love this text in Micah chapter 2, says this, verse 12, this is God speaking through the prophet, "I, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, I will gather the remnant of Israel, I will set them together like sheep in a fold, there's your sheep metaphor, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men, he who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. D- years ago, this is one of my favorite things I can remember, this former job, and uh, we were in upstate New York working at Camp of the Woods, and my wife Kim served as the director of the girls' camp there Tapawingo for seven summers. And one of the things that those uh, young college women who would come and be the counselor at the camp, what they had to do according to New York state law was that they had to travel uh, every hike in the park that they intended to bring their girls on that next summer. And so because they were all, you know, month of June, gung-ho, we're going to get in shape, we're going to rock this summer. And so what we would do is take them out three uh, or four, sometimes five hikes in one day to get them all up to speed because there's just so many hikes that, that they could take their girls on. So we would go and we would do this, but because it was still earlier enough in the year, uh, trails hadn't been traveled a whole lot, and so we would get out there on the trails and there'd be all kind of winter uh, blowdown, you know windfall, junk on the trail, and we'd have to clear it off and so what I would do is uh, you know kind of chicken out and go to the last in the line, I would say to each girl, you you take the next quarter mile, then you take the next quarter mile and be removing the junk off the trail to clear it so that your girls will be able to have safe travel later on. We got to the point where we called this activity, you know, labeled Jesus even. uh, This is not an official name of Jesus in the Bible, but I I think it's glory to him anyway. Uh, We call him the brush breaker, The brush breaker, that's what Micah just said. He's the one, he is the Lord who goes before them and breaks open the breach to make sure that they get to where they have to be and that they do so safely. I just remember what that was like. That is Jesus Christ. He goes before and he removes the obstacles. He guarantees safety because he's that good of a shepherd. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. I've I've shared this before, you know, and in Matthew 16, it says this when it comes to following. Jesus says, if any would come after me, let him deny himself, not deny himself things, but deny himself himself in favor of me. Let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And then the next verse says this, because whoever or for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Um, You know, I find myself personally in a season where I've been convicted of a fair deal of fear, I think, in my life, and that one of the proofs, I think the overarching proof as to fear in my life, and I don't experience it necessarily as fear, but I see the need to control and to do my best to prevent. I see my best, or I I, I see in me this desire to kind of self-preserve, and I can deceive myself into thinking that if I can look out far enough and wide enough to account for the problems that might come my way and cause me pain, if I can look out far enough, then I can take that and I can engineer a solution in advance so that I don't get hurt. And, and I'm seeing that in myself these days. And, and what I've seen is that um, I'm, I, I end up doing, I end up trusting myself more than I'm trusting God. And then what happens is when things don't work out for me, I get angry at God. Because my attitude, and then I realize my attitude, is, well, what, why didn't you why, why did you, why did you do that? Why did you let that happen to me? But then I'm real. by the grace of the Holy Spirit, then I'm realizing, oh, well, it's because I'm not following him. I'm expecting him to follow me. Are you following God or are you expecting him to follow you? Are you taking matters into your own hands or are you giving them to him? Are you trusting yourself or are you entrusting yourself to him? This is just where I'm at right now. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And one of the things about being a good shepherd is that my sheep follow me. and not themselves. They don't cut themselves loose. They trust me. And then this last phrase, for they know his voice. I remember when Joe was my, my son, he was first born uh, to Kim and myself, and, um, and he was born, and there, there had been some complications leading up to uh, the delivery there, and we're in the hospital room, and, um, and, and it had gotten pretty intense, and Kim had been in labor for a long time, And I remember that the doctor pulls me aside and says, no, I don't want you to freak out. I'm not going to tell your wife this is going to happen because I don't want her to freak out either. But, um, you know, and then then I see this nurse get up on a stool over the top of Kim and the baby. And the nurse um, kind of leans forward with her forearms and Kim comes into the next contraction. And the nurse just goes right down on top of the baby. And I kid you not, like I'm standing right next to the dog. I'm right there. The doctor did not receive the baby. The doctor caught the baby like a football. Caught, caught my son like this. Seriously, caught my son like this, like that, when that nurse leaned down like that. They take, you know, I, I, I cut the cord. <laughs> Whoop-dee-doo. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and these two female doctors who... Um, I just remember they were so petite. You know, they were probably five feet, five, five, one, maybe a hundred pounds each. Um, and, and they're standing One's here and one's there, I'm here. And there's a nurse there and a nurse there, because like I said, there've been some complications. And so they, and Joe's screaming, like, have you seen a baby like at that moment? You know, you know, the face just scrunches in the lips and the way that they cry and, and he's there. Well, all along during the pregnancy, um, I had regularly been talking, you know, we'd get in bed and, you know, I'd get my face down there close to Kim's tummy and, you know, and I would just talk. I lean over the top and I just said, all I said was, Joseph. He stopped immediately and he looked like his eyes were still closed, but he turned his head like this. And he looked at me and the doctor, that doctor smiled. This doctor looked over her shoulder like this. And you know what she said to me? He knows his father's voice. Man. Just unforgettable. For they know his voice. Jacob knew his voice. He said so in Genesis 48, 15. You know, the God who has been my shepherd all my days. Is how Jacob refers to the Lord. They know his voice. We know his voice. He calls us each by name, says in verse 3. You know, it says uh, in Revelation 2, 17, which I think is the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Smyrna, and he says, "Look, it, this you as a church are going through, relatively speaking, so, through so much persecution. Some of you are going to lose your lives," He said to the church in Smyrna. But if you overcome... You have some reward coming your way. And one of the things that I'm going to reward you with is that I'm going to give you a name, a new name. And no one is going to know that name except for me and you. Just, you know, ponder that for a second. You have a name and no one else in existence is privileged to know that name except for you and Jesus. That's something for just the two of you to share. It's that intimate, just the two of you. He wants to give you that name. And you hear his voice when he calls it. So we're gonna be moving into communion here. And I'll invite the servers to come forward. Let me say this about, as the servers are coming forward, let me say this, that it says in verse 9 there, if anyone, underline that again, if anyone, if anyone enters by me as door, if anyone. And so just extend Kind of an invitation right now. If the Lord's working away at your heart today, could and should be the day you give your life to him. Hear me on that. So we're careful at this church. We want to obey uh, what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where Jesus says, or where Paul actually writes, um, be careful not to drink judgment unto yourself by taking, partaking of the communion offering um, in, in a way that would, um, that would dishonor the Lord. And the way that you dishonor the Lord is by misrepresenting yourself, by participating in this as though you have made the decision to have the body, and the blood of Jesus count for you when you actually haven't made that decision. This communion, this Lord's Supper, is meant to do one thing, remember. Jesus said, for as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so when those of us who are in Christ, we have that saving relationship with him, having repented of our sin and placed our faith in him to save us, what we're saying is you gave your body and you gave your blood so that I don't have to give my body and I don't have to give my blood to atone for my sin. That's what's happening here with communion. So we just ask you, if you haven't made that decision yet in your life to let the elements go by, and that that'd be a good thing and a blessing, okay? But that if you feel like you want to respond to Jesus right now, and I want to take this because I believe that's what he's doing for me right now, then by all means, take communion. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read, 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to participate. It says this in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks. Let me pray and let's together thank the Lord. And then we're going to have the distribution of the elements. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Jesus. We are remembering right now the Jesus of your word, the Jesus who is your son. This is the testimony. You have given us eternal life and this. Life is in your son. He or she who has the son of God has life. And we remember that. Thank you, dear Lord. You have said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So we acknowledge your shed blood, we acknowledge your love, and we thank you now. In Jesus' name.